0: friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull-Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we like to do that in the world of sports, of comedy, of music, pastors and authors, great testimonies, the list goes on and on. And uh, grateful today to have a guy, at least for me, I will consider a friend. And a guy that's invested and encouraged me probably much more so than he realizes, whether that's through his blog, through conversations, through books. And I'm always fascinated to think he wrote an early book in the early days of promise keepers that was significant and, and, and meant something to folks. And in a new season of life, Dan Ryland from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Welcome back.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. And i uh... Absolutely, we are friends. I always
0: enjoy our our connect, our conversations. Looking forward to this one today. I want to ask you a question. So I've gotten to know a little bit, um, and you know it way better than I do, some folks in this John Maxwell world. You know, we talked before we got on air about, I mentioned something about football and the football coach firings that happen this time of year. And in, a lot of times in, in pro sports, there's this coaching tree and I guess there's a coaching tree, if we will, in the world of John Maxwell. So for those of you who've known him for a long time and have been around him, and you're obviously you know cut very near the top of that tree, is there is there a camaraderie and something really special? We had on here recently, and he's been on twice as well, Tim Elmore. You know, guys like Tim Elmore, you others, is there kind of a, a fun coaching tree and experience you guys have together that, that those of us on the outside don't know about?
1: Well, I don't know that people don't know about, but uh we we definitely are all very connected. We have a lot of fun together. We travel, we, we've actually vacationed sometimes. Last last July, I think it was, uh Maxwell's and, and Elmore's and we were all together. We uh, last year we all flew down to Florida for John's 75th big, you know, birthday celebration. Work on projects together. I just did a little sent John some thoughts on the next books, the next book he's uh, working on so yeah it's very connected john is he's a he's an incredible guy very generous although you know john is a he's a he's a, he's a funny guy we'll play together but when you're with john we also always work together so we're always are always it's kind of like fruit and joy we're yeah. always producing something and we're always having fun
0: yeah you know, we've talked about this before. I love your whole fruit and joy concept and those two fitting together. And uh, it's funny, I was ready to start cracking up laughing. When you said 75th birthday vacation in Florida, I'm thinking all those things set up well to say rest, but I'm like, how do high-powered leaders like you guys get together and not start going somewhere that's going to lead into some work, some fruit, some uh, doing some heavy lifting? I mean, what, what, what is, How were you guys together a week, I'm guessing? Well, no, I, you're, I'm
1: probably combining multiple trips here. One time it was a a, a week uh, when the Florida one was his birthday, and we we really don't worry about working. I mean, we're called. We're, we're passionate. We have we we run in the lanes. We run in. We make it fun. We make it play. We actually combine the two of them together. Mm-hmm. So if we're if we're well, we didn't do that on his, on his birthday celebration. But if we are, uh, but. Actually, we were there a couple of days early and we were hanging out and doing some stuff. And then we said, hey, uh, we all pulled aside, said, let's work on this particular whatever project it was for a little while. So combining those things together really isn't, at least in this age and stage, really isn't a a problem for us.
0: Yeah. So when you mentioned you and like, you know, I I said previous guests we've had on here a couple of times is Tim Elmore. So like when you, Tim Elmore, John Maxwell, whoever else, in a group of your together, I don't know how many people are usually together in that setup. You know, I don't know if it's four or five, six, 20, whatever. Do you guys have to fight the battle or do you fight the battle of any kind of competition of like, oh, wow, he's so good at this, this person, or that one's so good at this. I I know years ago when I was younger, I really struggled in the circles of young life when I would be around a bunch of these really sharp young life people. And I'm like, oh, I don't have what that guy's got with humor. And that guy's so good with people. And that guy's such a great speaker. And I would leave times like that really discouraged thinking – I'm falling short in every area where they're all great. What's, what's that like? I think younger,
1: uh, I, I think younger, I, I definitely did my insecurities and I don't know about the other guys, but I think definitely I would feel that some competition maybe, or um, gee, they're, they're more gifted communicators, stuff like that. But as I've matured and found my calling and found my lane and just kind of realized that we're all in it together we all have strengths and weaknesses that that complement each other, make us better. John's the, he's a master at that. You know, he's 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 better at everything that we do. But he always says, hey, guys, help me, help me on this project. And mm. here's the thing that motivates us, plus, plus the fact that we just love being around each other, um, with any group of friends I'm in, just like you, is we're just better together. Mm. That's, the, that's the bottom line. We're better together and we know it. And so collaboration thinking together challenging each
0: other and then making it fun that just works yeah mark batterson uses a phrase i know with his staff where they they talk about pray and play and and i think you know pray means get down to business seeking the lord whatever and play is totally having fun not that they can't you know naturally just go together but let me ask you so staying on this topic here we go dan I'm, i'm so off script it's not even funny um I think because I feel kind of what you did about just understanding and appreciating the less I know, I realize that the older I get, I don't take myself as seriously as I've gotten older. I think it's easy to hear what you just said and think, well, some of this is just going to happen as I age and get older. But for a younger leader – how can we encourage them not to have to feel like they have to wait, not say, well, in 20 years, you'll have figured that out about being around other leaders and not feel like you got to compete. What can people do who are younger or think they still have time to go before they were to get better at what you're saying and just say, no, right now, I'm going to either A, appreciate what people bring to the table for me, and I don't know what I don't know, and together we are better, or, or how can we kind of lean into that and fan the flame of getting there faster, if you will?
1: Yeah, you can't you can't microwave life. You can't quote get there. Well, we can get there faster, but I I think it's rather than I'll just be blunt. Rather than wasting time being frustrated about mm-hmm. the ta- seat at the table you don't have, or the skill that isn't developed yet, it's much much better to. Be grateful for what you've been asked to do. Be grateful for what you've been chosen to do. Yep. I work with staff all the time, you know, they get frustrated because, you know, we they've been here for eight and a half minutes and they didn't get a, a promotion, you know. <laughs> and and, and uh, so here's the thing. Build what you've been given. Be grateful for what you have been chosen. Of all the people in the world, you were chosen to do this. You got to do this. You got to be at this church. So build what you were chosen for, build what you've been offered, build what you've been given and enjoy it. Mm. You've got to enjoy it. If you'll build what you've been given and enjoy it, and then you're in the right environment, you're gonna grow, you're gonna excel, you're gonna lean in, and you put in the effort and you will get picked for the things that you really want. And and you can speed that up by attitude and by environment, but some of some of it just takes time. Yeah.
0: Amen. So we last talked in this capacity, at least about two and a half years ago, and I was just wondering, thinking through that part of this for our audience to hear from you, Dan. Things are different. Your life is different. You've you've transitioned um, out of your official role at Twelve Stone Church there in Atlanta. Great stuff going on in and through that church. You're still very involved, but it's just a different role. Jesus to you now versus Jesus to you then, as you've grown in your relationship with the Lord, the gospel leadership. Your new assignment. Tell us about what's new, fresh, and different since that space we were in back in the later years of 2020 or later time of 2021.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't want to say necessarily something that's obvious, but Jesus to me is the same. He doesn't change. He's Lord and Savior. I depend on him more every day than imaginable. Um, I've been walk I've been walking with him now for 50 years. And um he is everything. So that, that, that is the truth. That is, I think the context that we live in, we can talk about that later, is different. Mm-hmm. But um, so, so he is the same. Um, I, I live with him, for him, without him. I mean, I'm completely dependent. So you, you get that idea. In terms of leadership, my, my assignment, as you, as you said, has changed a, a good bit. We've been in succession, Jeff. And it's actually a triple succession here at 12 Stone. The senior pastor Kevin Myers, myself as XP, and our CFO Norwood Davis, we are all we've all raised up a younger leader for years. We've been developing them for years. We've been working on this, and um, they're all all three. of Those leaders are in now. The last of the three was the new senior pastor Jason Berry was stepped up August uh, sixth of this last summer. So all three are in. All three are doing a great great job, but. The, uh they have asked us, the board and Jason and Dan, the, the new XP is also a Dan. Oh, wow. Uh, we call him Dan. He's about like six, five or six. I don't know. He's really tall. <laughs> and and uh, they've asked Kevin and I to stay for a while, for a season. Kevin's doing certain roles for a season before we're completely step out and step aside. I've uh, They've asked me to stay primarily in leadership development roles, coaching roles. I do a lot of a lot of leadership teaching there, been very involved with the our residency, 30 full-time residents post-college, where they're ministry majors and they're with us for two years. We pour into them. Um, we have a couple of staff members, that's all they do and all they focus on, as well as church planting, those kinds of things. So I'm really enjoying what I do for we I have a I think about another year and a half, I'll be helping 12 stone in this arena and then go full-time into my coaching and consulting.
0: I like, I think you said something to that effect last time you talked about, you know, Jesus, every everything to you, 50 years, all that kind of stuff. For most people, I think when they give their life to Jesus and decide to start following Him, submit and surrender, it doesn't happen like there's a there's a process until He becomes everything. Mike Donahue, who's a previous guest on here, he talks about Jesus being Savior, then Lord, then treasure. Do you remember at what point when you said, yes, He's now and going forward, He has become everything to me?
1: Uh, I think for me, it's more how the relationship has grown. I think in my younger years as a leader, Jeff, I I think I was more performance-based, probably had some people-pleaser in there, and I found that that actually translated into my walk with with Christ, where my quiet times, I have a really cool, I'm pointing over here, I don't know why (laughs) nobody can see it, but I uh, have a little prayer room that's down in the basement where my office is. And anyways, over the years and different places where I've been, uh, where we live, uh, even my my walk with Christ was almost performance-based, where, okay, now I need to go pray, and I got to check that off the list, and I got that done. And it took me a long, long time, really, years and years and years and years, to realize my performance and all those kinds of things based on insecurities, that really isn't a healthy relationship. And so I've actually learned to simply sit with Jesus. I've actually learned to Mm. simply be with him. I don't have to journal this many things and read these many scriptures and sing these many songs. And I can do any of that, but it's about a relationship with a God who loves me, with someone who cares for me, who's poured out so much grace that I can hardly even understand mm. it. And he restores my soul. I listen to him. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. I've learned, Jeff, that that he can't that that God can't be rushed. Mm. And um, uh, it's not about time. It's not about, am I there for 20 minutes or an hour and a half or 10 minutes, but he can't be rushed.
0: So if you ever want the deeper moments, sometimes it, it, that takes time. So one of the things I'm impressed by with you, Dan, is it feels to me like we probably tend to separate whether this business world, church world, or personal life or whatever. There's following Jesus... And then there's leadership and leadership development. And I think we probably divorce those to some degree when we think about our life and our time and how we're spending it. You don't seem to do that. You would seem to put those two things very much together. Do you think that's accurate what I see, that we separate those two and you're either pouring into one or the other? And if so, how have you had victory in not doing that? I think I think it is very easy to compartmentalize and to kind of,
1: you know, run in the spirit for a moment you know like we can run to church and we'll praise and then we now we got to go solve real problems but i think what i've learned over the years and i certainly don't have all the answers yet, mm-hmm. but i think what i've learned over the years is i don't really have enough power or authority or authority from heaven or ability on my own or certainly enough wisdom to go be a, a spiritual leader on my own so if if i'm not walking with christ and throughout the day saying okay Lord I don't know the answer to this tell me what to do I'll often I'll often even when I pray I say teach me how to pray Holy Spirit yes. uh, I'll I'll make a connection throughout the day with what's happening because I just can't do it on my own and then and then here's the good news God blesses he gives gifts and talents and abilities and words and moments and he's with us and it doesn't make every moment in life easier but when when we know God is really with us, when mm. we know Christ is with us, and when I say with us, I don't mean, I know he loves me, I know I'm going to heaven. I mean, he's actually with us. Yes. Because I don't know about you, but there are days and moments in any leader's life where we think, God, are you actually with me? Do you mm-hmm. see what's happening here? Do you know do You know, there's no money coming to the church? This guy did this, she did that. and And to know that he's actually with us is a
0: powerful, powerful thing. Mm. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm curious for you, um, you know, this stage of life, I don't know if you've picked up anything in the last year or so, but like I know for me, as you mentioned prayer, one of the things that hit me is I've been using the David Platt podcast, not if you're familiar with it, Pray the Word, where like every day he takes a passage of scripture, usually he's going through a book of the Bible, and will take one verse, three verses, half a chapter of a book, and kind of walk through, praying it through in about five minutes. On my way up here today, preparing for time with you, a few other guests, that's what I did driving up here today. I just spent time in various, flipping through, okay, that podcast will be good. I need that scripture. That's been a helpful thing to me in the last several months. Have you picked up anything new that's helped your relationship with the Lord flourish in this season that's like, that's a new hack to me?
1: Uh, again, I think I think freedom. It's not new for me necessarily, but I think freedom in how I approach. Uh, when I was a younger Christian, I used to always approach via praise, praise music, worship music. Mm -hmm. That was, I just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And now it's a a really, and and not as much scripture reading. I've really done quite a flip flop. I love now entering into scripture reading and the praise, the music isn't as much of a Mm -hmm. thing now. I do love to read. I read scripture every day and and soak and and, um, just kind of quiet in it. But in terms of a hack, I don't know that I have them, but I'm always grabbing onto something new. So let me let me do this because I want to answer your question. Sure. The most recent thing that I've found, a book that I found, that I read it like a devotional that was transformational, mm. finished it last, last fall, was um, Praying Like Monks. Uh, yes, um, Tyler Staten. Ty- yeah, the, the Praying Like Monks, ty- his uh, his book, um, Tyler Staten, so good, that I mean, I'm not even one who really necessarily likes to read books on prayer, but mm-hmm. it is probably at the top of the list of any book I've ever read on prayer. God did something with that book and in that book and through that book. And wow. so
0: for something recent, that would be it. Yeah. It's praying like monks, living like fools. I met him about a year and a half ago in Portland. That book had was just coming out. It wasn't even out. And his testimonies in there that is a great book. I'm glad to hear you say You know, one thing, because I texted you about this a few minutes ago. I think you looked down and saw it. You mentioned and you pointed to about your prayer room. I know that's something you've really been intentional about, and I know some people have a place. They think about a place. They want a place, but I know you've been ruthless about making a place in your home that's for you, so I'm just teasing listeners. I'm glad you're going to show it to me, I think, afterwards because I want to see it because you've obviously alluded to it before, so... Dan, I want to go back to what we were talking about. We said this before we got on here. I'm really interested to hear about 12 Stones 30 college, post-college folks you guys have in residence. I've I've seen more and more churches do that. The Grace Churches, I mentioned my son goes to Grace College in Indiana. They seem to be pretty intentional about that. Other churches, other places. Why is that a priority? Because clearly that's going to take time away in theory from day to day, Sunday to Sunday ministry. But I'm going to guess that's something that's really worked for you. Talk about what that looks like. What is it that meant to your church, your role? And uh, in two years later, what all is going on with those students once they leave that program you guys put in place?
1: Yeah, great, great questions, Jeff, and and great passion for me. So, well, first of all, our our culture, we have a, a, a leadership development culture. Part of who we are, every church has a vibe, every church has a culture, every church has a certain environment. We are clearly uh, spiritual leadership, but a, a leadership development culture. So it's part of our calling, it's part of what we do. We try to invest in other churches who call and we will help everything, any way we can. So the the residents, it's just our passion. It's not cheap help. That's probably the number one fallback problem where where residencies and, and, and internships don't work is that it it, i'm being very blunt with that it kind of degrades quickly to cheap help Um, we fight that with everything because that's that's not even a criticism it will we would do it if we didn't fight that every day
0: so you do invest in these people what does that investment look like as far as what they're getting you know whether that's financial housing yada yada
1: yeah they they well the primary thing is they're getting training and development we do provide there's they get a, they get a monthly stipend we provide housing for them they get a laptop there's it's it's a it's a great process a great system of course the married ones sometimes the spouse will work the 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 big investment is every thir- every Tuesday there's 2 hours of in class training every year 2 years of phenomenal curriculum and then they have about 25 25 plus hours or maybe 30 where they're actually carrying a load. They're, they're in leadership. They have a coach. Every single resident has a personal leadership coach, somebody on our staff. They have weekly meetings. They are prepared really, really well for um, churches. Churches are always trying to hire them before they're done. Mm. And uh, so they go to great churches all over the country. Churches know they're always kind of waiting. Who do you have? Who's next? Wow. And of course, for, for, oh, for us, we get blessed it's not why we do it but we would be foolish if we didn't do this with as difficult it is to hire people these days we get to hire when we have a spot and there's somebody that makes sense we get to hire it's it is our staff pipeline or one of them out of 150 on staff 35 or 36 have come from our residency. wow you guys have 150 on staff well counting the residents wow that's a lot yeah, well, there's a lot to do. We're, yeah. we're launching our tenth campus. Uh, well, we're, we're looking toward it. We're just launching our ninth one. Working on our tenth one. That's one of the things that's different these days. Um, we have been a just a, a long a long season of you know bricks and mortar, and then that was too expensive so we moved toward strip mall you know Mm -hmm. build out then bricks and mortar and now then we that's too expensive so we went to you know uh, go to a school for a few years then lease build out then bricks and mortar and now we're going to i think the most logical thing that makes sense is with all the smaller churches around the country closing and boomers leaving and stuff. The they, This beautiful kingdom merger kind of thing where they have a building with no people. We have resources and leadership. And we did our first one in Athens opening this month. And we're looking to doing more and more of those because it's
0: just a solid kingdom yeah. stewardship. No, I agree totally with that. So if I'm a pastor and I have a heart for developing leaders, I have a heart for church planning, everything you're saying resonates, what would be the reason to not do what you're saying that you guys have done well?
1: Ah, that's an insightful question. I would say the reason to not do it, if you don't do any leadership development yourself at your church. Like if you don't, if you're not developing your, con- I don't mean just equipping them for their ministries. I mean, developing them for to be a leader. If you're not practicing, if you have one staff or two staff and you're not talking leadership or taking them to a leadership book, or you have 20 staff and there's never a leadership conference or a podcast or, again, some leadership development that you're practicing, that you are you don't have to be great at it, don't have to be perfect. It's, leadership development's a lot like prayer. It's hard to do it wrong. Mm. Now, you can do it better, wow. but I would say... You need to be doing some of it before you bring somebody in or you'll bring somebody in and you won't know what to do with them. And then what you do, the default from developing them as a leader, which is coaching, et cetera, uh, they've got to have a coach and then you've got to have a plan. There has to be a plan. The default is you'll just put them to work. Yeah. And then all they do is mirror all the mistakes you make. (laughs) So, So development should be at least a little bit in the water before you try
0: a yeah. residency or an internship. And have you guys been pretty good to let other churches, other ministries cherry pick and learn from you and just say, hey, here's some material. We'll walk you through it. We'll teach you how to do what we've done. Or is it a little bit more like, hey, we've worked hard on this. We don't want to be giving this material out. And you guys jack it up. And not in a, not in a selfish, egotistical way, but in a way you want to protect you know, the shield, if you will. How are you guys with helping other churches out with oh, well? yeah.
1: We, we do all the time the director of it there's so many calls and stuff i think he tries to group them up now but we're we we do everything we can we have little cheat sheets we'll give out we have the entire now we don't give out like the the actual content he, they can tell you why but we give what's actually better this crazy big been worked on for over a decade the uh like the, I don't know why I'm pointing to the air here. <laughs> it's, this, it's this master spreadsheet of all the topics and the books and how and why and the quarters and what's what one quarter. We give that to anybody who wants that. So they it's, it's a major roadmap for two years of ideas and books and topics that you might want to go through. So yeah, we're, we try to be very, very helpful as with as much time as we do have.
0: Sure. Um, there's got to be a balance in that versus just giving all giving all the information out and everybody goes do, does what they want with it without some coaching would leave it getting so watered down and having no value, but you probably can't take every moment of every day to spend to really walk everybody through it. So that has to be tough to balance. But I want to get back and one of the things we had talked about ahead of time that we wanted to talk about was this season of your life, you've transitioned Kevin's transition sounds like you're staying in the lane post 12 stone in your role for about a year and a half before it goes into full time coaching, mentoring, which you've done some of that along the way anyway. So get down to the nuts and bolts of time now, what you left behind, and what you're heading into, Dan.
1: Well, what I've left behind is, you know, 42 years of being an executive pastor with two in two in two churches and and uh which I've loved every second of it. But you know, my little, my simple little phrase, phrase is it's time. <laughs> I still have a lot of energy and, you know, I think most of us, you know, stay longer than maybe we should have. And I don't know. I hope I haven't, but maybe I have. I don't know. But I love the church. I don't know that I'll ever leave the church. Formally, I'll I'll step aside, as you've just mentioned from Twelve Stone. But I always joke with with that now that the new young guys we've raised up. I said, you know, maybe, maybe sometime when I'm not not doing this and I'm about 97 years old, well, you let me come back and just be in charge of the ushers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because I, I just love the church. I don't ever want to not be part of the church. And of course, I'm actually, I'm actually a student of God's work in you know the only two institutions God ever ordained was marriage in the church. I'm a student of it and will always be because it's ever changing. So in my consulting practice, you talk about what's next. I'm always learning, every church I'm in, no one asks a consultant or a coach easy questions. So when you get to see a lot of churches and be in a lot of scenarios and see a lot of things, you're learning all the while you're helping. And mm. I love that. So it's, I, you know, I, I'm not somebody who has a program in my in my executive coaching, for example, there are some great, great, great coaches out there that take you through their program. That's great. That's not what I do. I get on your agenda and help you figure out the best I can, what you're trying to do from your personal life, your soul, your walk with God and your leadership. So those are the things that I get to do. It's limited right now because I'm three quarter time at
0: 12 stone, of course, but there'll be a day coming where I'll do that full time. Yeah. I'm curious. So uh, obviously we've referenced before and have already here your relationship and lots of years with John Maxwell, a guy that really meant a lot to him. And I'll I'll never forget the story he tells about the last time he was with John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach, and how they had trouble getting through all the content of what he wanted to ask him, knowing it was maybe the last time he'd ever see him because John Wooden kept asking him so many questions. Who is someone that you know, that maybe you don't know that you're like, wow, I would love to spend hours with them just to pick their brain on leadership, on growing in Christ, whatever. Who's someone you look to that way, like Maxwell has done with Wooden?
1: Well, obviously John's one of them.
0: Well, but you but know him. Who's somebody else maybe that you don't know as well that you're like, wow, I just want to glean from this person?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. In some ways I feel very blessed because I do get to talk sure. to some of these guys. So, so, you know, I've, people from Sam Chan to, to many others that are very kind to me. And I continue to learn from, uh, that's a really good question. Who, who is it that I would love to, I mean, there's dozens of business leaders and church leaders that I think like I, I, I for example, um, Chris Hodges, mm-hmm. I think brilliant. Um, I would love to get more time with him. He's, he, he's an amazing leader, but with these leaders like Chris Hodges or Craig Rochelle or, some of the some of the many many leaders out there, I think I'm I'm uh, stumbling on that question for this for this reason. I think I do get to talk with almost anybody because of their podcasts and their books. Yeah, and mm. so I yeah I was wondering why am I stumbling on this question? It's because I don't think there's pretty much anybody I can't get to, and in fact, matter of fact, Jeff, I get their more refined thoughts because if if a guy puts for example, or a Gal puts for example. 400 hours into a book yeah of concentrated work i'm i'm that's like 400 hours of his brain i'm sitting in his office talking to him reading his book Mm -hmm. or the more live live the more real time you know on a podcast so i think i think i can get to all of them through
0: books and podcasts i love that answer that's such a great answer All right, well, let's transition to some quicker rapid fire. My rapid five, I like to ask. And since you've been on before, I got to choose a brand new five. So what what year or season of your life would you like to relive and go experience that season or year again?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, Honestly, I don't know that I would do it. I don't have a lot of major regrets. But if I had to choose, I think I would go back and maybe redo my college years. Mm. (laughs) I don't know. I was a Some in some ways, I mean, I've always been a disciplined kind of focused guy, but I don't know that was very focused in college in my undergrad work. I I think I worked, you know, on part-time jobs and and social relationships more than I studied in my in my undergraduate world. And Southern California, you know, people go to. Class and back in the when I was there, and they they'd have their surfboard in one hand, their bathing suit, and you know it was really
0: not focused. <laughs> they weren't together. And, the surfboard and the bathing suit were in separate yeah. hands. That's a whole different experience. Oh yeah, I mean
1: it was it was you know they they lay out and get literally at San Diego State University, literally laying out on the lawns getting suntans with their suntan lotion, and I'm one of them. And they went, oh, I got to go to class. I mean, mm-hmm. so it was just like, what are we doing? You yeah. Know? Wow. Let so me I might you, do that over. There you go.
0: Okay. Well, let me ask you this one. Here's one for you that's fun. Music, comedy, a play, whatever it would be. What would be a, an event you would love to see, and what would be the venue or the location you'd want to see that in?
1: Oh, well, uh, I'm an old uh, Beatles fan, pretty pretty hardcore there. I think the Lennon-McCartney mm. composing is pretty cool. Uh, I think I'd love to hear Paul McCartney maybe in London. Maybe in a small – sm- I'd like to hear McCartney in a small venue in London. I think that would be the jam.
0: Did you ever see on James Corden when he did the Late Late Show, he had about a 25-minute segment of him and Paul McCartney doing exactly what you're saying?
1: I did. And when he was in that pub and pulled the screen back, yep. I lost my mind. I thought, oh, I would do anything to be there.
0: I just said to someone a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, the one artist I haven't seen yet, if I had to choose one that I want to see. Now, the problem is it's probably going to be in some huge stadium would be Paul McCartney. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. So I know you're very intentional with family. What is one of your favorite board games or card games to play with family or friends?
1: Yeah, uh, I like that question. Uh, we're actually not huge board games. We play a lot and laugh a lot, but anything that gets us, the, like the key word for us or me is simple. My son is this genius kind of, he plays all those super complex games. I need to have the super simple ones, like anything from Boggle to Monopoly, because we're we're competitive. And here's the thing yeah. with our family. We have, half of, the, half of us are rule keepers and half are not rule keepers. Uh, that's me and my family. Yep. And rule keepers and non-rule keepers, they don't get along. I'm my like my wife, I love her today. We've been married forty two years. She is a rule keeper. I am not I, I make up rules. I say this is the and then I hide behind saying, but this is just a game, yeah. but I'm making up rules, you know. Uh, so so for us, that's the game.
0: Yeah. You know what's so funny about that it is split right down the middle with us. My, me, my oldest son and my youngest son, Jaden and Alex, we are rule breakers. Exactly what you just said. My wife, my middle son Ethan, and my daughter Leah are rule keepers. And it's funny to watch us play games. You better never put like a, like a game where two teams compete. Me, Jaden, and Alex together because we're coming after you. We're going to change the rules. We're going to. We played a game uh, New Year's Eve. I don't know if you've ever. This would be a game worth checking out with your family. It's called Secret Hitler, and it's kind of play on. I guess we better be careful about encouraging people to take on the role of Hitler, but uh, it's kind of a play on mafia, which is a famous kind of interactive game with people with silence and calling people out and whatever. But secret Hitler is a very interesting board game. That's a great name. Uh, it's certainly a great name. You won't forget that one anytime soon. So Dan, what's a song that would best sum up your life?
1: Uh, well, I'm glad you gave me a, he- a quick heads up on that one. Cause I, I love music and that's an impossible thing, but But I don't know that I have a song. Actually, I know I don't. But since I said I'm an old Beatles fan, I think I might pick Let It Be. Mm. The the phrase, whisper words of wisdom, Mm. Let It Be. That probably connects pretty deep with me. I think I'd pick that for this fun round of five.
0: That is, uh, man, I don't know that I would have thought. I thought maybe you'd go with a Beatles song. But that's, that's a pretty cool, one. I like that. And, of course, you being a leadership guy, you are, that, that uh, t- falling into wisdom and leadership would fit very well. Last one is this. If you were going into outer space for one year and you were leaving <laughs> and you got one last meal, what's the one last meal? And is it somebody preparing it for you you know, or is it going to a restaurant? What's that last meal for you?
1: Yeah, I love that because one of my very, very, very favorite things in life to do is – uh, a great meal with great friends and that's not, that's not different than most people, but a great meal with great friends on the beach. I'm a beach guy, not mm-hmm. a mountains guy. I'm a beach guy. So, and there's, there are many, many of those in San Diego, but one that we love, one that I love is called Poseidon. And, and we, and it's, you got to ask to eat out on the wall, which means that you're outside and there's a wall that's literally like two inches past the wall. You're in sand and there's the waves. And so to sit in the, sit outside at the Poseidon, uh, it's in the Del Mar area uh, with great friends and just mm. have a great conversation. It doesn't get better than that. And you got me. Where, where did you say that is again? In Del Mar, California. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's right there. It's, a, it's a, a city not far from San Diego.
0: Oh, so when you lived out there and spent a lot of time there, you could go there quite often. Oh, yeah, and did. Good for you. I I, I love the energy and excitement. I mean, it wasn't like just this overly glowing thing, but you could almost tell you were painting a picture in front of you of what that experience was like. That's neat to hear. Yeah. So let's hit this leadership question for you, Dan. We, you know, we live in a day and an age where people leave the church, people talk about church hurt, people talk about church pain. You and I both would know you've been a part of some really big churches. Some of that can be very legit and we don't want to downplay that or act like it doesn't exist but i think we also live in a time where it's easy to attach church hurt and church pain everywhere where maybe it's not legitimate. We also live in a day and age with cancel culture, we live in a day and age when leaders fall, we always want to see people come back, grace and truth restored, reconciled, redeemed where that's all right and appropriate. Some people, depending on the situation, can get back in a ministry, sometimes you're disqualified walk through some of that and in your place as a follower of Christ, your place as a leader, tackle that wherever you want to. I don't want to lead you too much into that, but there's a lot of things going on right now in our culture that are really important for us to navigate. Uh, I see it with people leaving a church or being frustrated or, Hey, I'm going to go do this on my own now. And, and we know we can't do that. You need the body. You need people walking with you. What does that do for your heart with where we are in culture with all that? Well, it's,
1: it captures my heart a great deal, Chris, over the years, I've dealt with many, many things. But let me just make sure we're talking the same thing here, Jeff. Sure. So are you talking about church staff, church leaders, not not volunteers? Well, right?
0: I, yeah, I certainly think where we see it with church leaders, but you know, people across the board with church can leave. Uh, when we talk about people falling, clearly we're talking about leaders there. So there's a both and to that. And I know I threw you a super loaded bomb of a question. So
1: yeah. Well, I think I think to even begin to uh, attack. A question this gigantic, I have to go on one side or the other. So let's sure. go on the staff side. Let's go on the church pastor leader side, Sure, because those are really two completely different answers, in, in my opinion. If somebody, you know, a volunteer, just someone attending church, just gets mad and leaves, that's a conversation to have. That's a good one. But then a staff member who, quote, falls, that's a different one. Mm-hmm. So it, let's take a stab at that giant one first. I think it actually starts, Jeff, with did they get caught or confess, mm-hmm. no matter what it was that fell, whatever happened, because that uh, indicates a disposition of their heart. And that gives us a big clue as to what may or may not happen successfully with a um, a plan of restoration. restoration nowadays, yeah. a, 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 a restoration plan. So I'm a really big believer in not just casting out someone into the street when something happens, but then their attitude again toward Restoration uh, is is a big deal. I've been involved in several restoration processes that last anywhere from a year to two years, and God has been kind with really successful results. And Part- most all of them? Uh, yeah, actually. Really, praise God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't have a long list. But in everyone I've been involved with, well, okay, not everyone, but most mm-hmm. have a, a successful. Ending, but it takes a long time, and it really is dependent upon the attitude of the church to do whatever is possible, and and then the disposition in the heart of the individual who messed up, made a mistake, fell, whatever it might be. But I I, I think the message I want to communicate is it's very doable, it's very possible to have someone restored. Now. Is it often to that church? No, not often to that church. And does it take a good couple years? Yes. Um, sometimes the restoration isn't even into back into ministry, but it's just back into a healthy life. It's back into a healthy marriage, it's back into back into a healthy life that may or may not walk them back into ministry, but at least they aren't just cast out, thrown aside, and it's kind of kind of one of the things that I, I try to help a little bit of a, not frustration, let me just say what it is without putting a, a description to it. Sometimes it's a, it's a heavy weight to consider church is one of the only places that you'll get fired if you tell the truth. Mm. And so I try to lift up an environment where a pastor, somebody can come forward and say, I've got a struggle with that. Get in front of it. Get it way yep. in front of what's happening and, and say, I've got a struggle here or whatever it might be. And the church and the and the team, the coaches, the supervisors will will work with you on that before you cross a line and really mess up. Rather than, oh, that's your deal. Well, you're out of here. Yeah. And and Jeff, I know that's very subjective. Every sure. story is, every narrative's different, but I think it's healthy where someone can step up and say, I've got to struggle and not get fired.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think you you mentioned that in churches. I think that's true in Christian education a lot of times, too. People, you know, if they come out and come clean about, you know, if a young, not just a male, but a female or whatever said, hey, I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. It's like, oh, there's the door. See that school down the road or another school across the country will take you. Because I think when it comes to falling leadership, pastor high level leader, we're, we're thinking so often, how do we get them back into that that job, that role, that whatever. And I think when people leave a church, a regular random church member, they're de-churching, if you will, we're quick to make it okay for them to leave. And I wish we could reverse those things. Like, no, we want to fight for you and fight with you as a church member, someone leaving a church, and someone whose needs restored, who fell in leadership as a senior pastor, whatever the role may be, like, let's err in taking too much time if need be versus like, Oh, you know, there's one famous pastor years ago who fell and what'd he do? He started a new church about a mile down the road. And I thought, what really? Are you serious? Come on. And it, and I could say there was one, there's probably many like that, not just one. And I just think we got to figure those two out. Cause that's, that's what a hurting world needs to see is a, is a body of Christ who gets some of those things right.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And in terms of you know, churches, people leaving churches, that's, Always happen, that's always going to happen. And of course, there's freedom. There's freedom to go where you want to go. But I think the thing that's that's troublesome to, to the individual, not, not as a complaint from a, a church leader, is when if you leave, if you just get mad. Like I don't I don't like what they did. I don't like what you know. I think we might be missing the point if, well, they made a decision, it didn't go my way. That that isn't that isn't good necessarily a, a maturing uh, Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I think it's better to say, can I stay and help fix the problem? Yep. I absolutely agree that, that churches have problems. We all have problems. We that's that's what we're we wake up every day and we're solving problems. We're we're make we're making the church stronger. We're helping we're helping people change lives. And there's no perfect church. But I think it might be wiser, rather than to get mad and leave, to stay and see if you can help solve the problems
0: that need to be fixed in the church don't we need to elevate that well-used well-oiled phrase be part of the solution not part of the problem and just live that out to a greater capacity we don't really live that out probably most of us much and i'm guilty of that probably is charged on whatever level as well
1: yeah yeah I, it's that's well said you know be part of the solution uh we often i often like that little analogy everybody carries a bucket of gas and everybody carries a bucket of water yeah and when we come upon a fire a problem we can choose we can choose to pour gas on it and make it worse or we can choose to pour water on it and put it out and so everybody carries a a, a, a can of uh, gas and water and so i think if we just use our water we can probably help the
0: church become better somebody will text me when this comes out i'll guarantee it and says i love when dan Ryland talked about the gas and the water so thank you for that. I'm glad we got to that. We're going to close quickly with this. These days, I'm going to ask you about four kind of emotions. I want to know where you are with these. These days, what makes you sad? Oh, unnecessary division
1: and human suffering. Mm. My, my, my heart has a lot of burden. There's a, I'm an upbeat guy, positive guy. I'm, you know, very blessed guy. But I'm I'm very aware, very aware of human suffering and pain. Mm. And I think I think sometimes that will sadden my heart. It does. What makes you angry? Angry? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. People who drive worse than I do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, who's got the famous line about? Uh, I think it's George Carlin who says, "People that are slower slower than you, you think they're an idiot. People who are faster than you, you think they're a maniac." <laughs> you're exactly. the perfect, you're the perfect driver. Whoever's
1: driving. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say worse than I do because I realize me, but dear Lord, you know, I think if, if you if you drive, I'll say it this way: if you drive worse than I do, you're not driving well
0: at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What makes you joyful these days, Dan? Oh, my
1: grandkids. Uh, they I knew it. I should, knew that was coming. They, I'm telling you what. And, and it's good you've saved this so that I don't start pulling out pictures. I mean, they, I'm blessed with three, my daughter and, and a son-in-law. And uh, I have a four-year-old, almost four-year-old granddaughter. And she is, I have to tell you this because it's hysterical. My my daughter, I love her to death, uh, she is our blue jeans and T-shirt kid. Never wore makeup, never, there's no purses. She's just our tomboy. She's awesome. We love her. She wore tennis shoes to her wedding, not as a thing. <laughs> it's because it's, it's who she is. Yeah. And her daughter, or her her daughter, our granddaughter, is all pink, all frills, all sparklies, all purses, all makeup, stuff on her fingernail. I mean, and we're going, who, where did she come from? I mean, it's hysterical. But, and then we also have identical twin boys that are 13 months old. Mm. And uh, they just make, they're just bring us so much joy.
0: Well, that's something new. You didn't have them last time we talked in this format, so. No. And how do you get three in just a couple of years? Well, you have twins. There you go. That's right. So what's making you laugh these days? Where are you getting a good laugh?
1: Uh, My grandkids, they make me (laughs) laugh. Uh, They do. They really make me laugh. And I think there's... You know, I love comedy, and, and there's a lot of comedians out there. A couple of them that just make me laugh. One guy is Nate, Nate Bargetts.
0: I'm seeing him Friday night. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: He cracks me up. And then there's another guy, a little older school, but I like him, Jim Gaffigan. Yep. Uh, he's, Very dry. He's just, Very dry. He's a funny guy. And so, yeah, every once in a while,
0: we'll I'll just you know click on a reel for mm, a minute. Me too. Get along. Did you uh, did you see the Nate Bargatze skit on SNL when he did George Washington? No. Type no. in on YouTube George Washington SNL Nate Bargatze. You will thank me later.
1: Well, I did. What there was one uh, Jimmy Fallon. It wasn't a. It was like a, a thirty second thing yeah. where Jimmy Fallon learned he was saying his name wrong yeah. all these years. He called. He was calling him Bar Bar Gates, and yep. it's Bar Gates. And Fallon goes. Now he goes, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you say? He goes, oh. I was thinking I got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, I've seen him do and that. I was laughing going, well, and, 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 and uh, Nate goes, well, you're just so much bigger than I am. I figured I had it wrong.
0: Yep, <laughs> I saw that exactly. You know what's funny about that? So Brian Bates, who's one of the four guys on the podcast that Nate does. When I interviewed Brian Bates on here, I made a, com- a comment about him being a part of the Nateland podcast. And he goes, well, Jeff, I'm really glad you check it out since it's actually called the Nate Land podcast. Not the Natland. So I said, well, there oh. you go. Strike right out of the gate. So, well, Dan, it's always a pleasure. It's a privilege. Uh, you talked about leadership and getting to dig in through podcast. I've just been led well by a great leader. So DanRyland.com is the place where people can find you. R-E-I-L-A-N-D. And uh, any other closing thought for people with where they can dig dig in and find more about you? Uh, that's it.
1: DanRyland.com. They can get my blog. They can... Check out, well, there's probably almost five. I'm always moving blog posts off and putting new ones on, but there's probably close to 500 there. So they got a lot of digging around they can do.
0: There you go. Well, friends, enjoy your day. And I'm going to go watch and check out Dan Ryland's prayer room. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation.
1: The Rise FM Podcast Network.